Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Chris Fault, I'm the editor of the Toolkit, and my guest today is John Wick 3 director Chad Stelhowski. Your kind of your entry into Hollywood was really as a stunt double, right? So what was and I guess the the idea is is that um, the Matrix and being Keanu's uh, stunt double was, I, I mean, those films opened up Hollywood in terms of stunts. I have to imagine that was an incredible education. Yeah. Um, I mean, as you can see with any of the John Wick films or uh, my partner Dave Leach, who's done the last Deadpool, now Hobbs and Shaw, um, Owen Patterson, Kim Barrett, uh, any of the people that have come out from the Matrix trilogy, any of the department heads are all doing, I think, very, very successful now in their, in their chosen fields. Going to the Wachowski Film School, as we all kind of relate to, for literally almost 10 years of my life has definitely made an impact to this day. And I have a lot of favorites. I've worked with some of the, I think, some of the greatest current directors on the planet. Um, they're still probably the most creative, the most apt at world building that I've mm. ever, ever met. The other thing about it was they were bringing in all these different influences and all these different fight influences. Mm-hmm. And whereas Hollywood tends to kind of bite on stuff that's happening they really kind of built these things into the Mm -hmm. world I say that because you know the fight style of John Wick and what you're doing with John Wick I mean one could see different influences Mm -hmm. but it really is a kind of the way that you're putting the pieces together to kind of define that world to the point that I don't necessarily know that you have a style as much as there was a style for Mm -hmm. John Wick which is kind of what they were doing with Mm -hmm. some of the influences there right yeah Uh, when you go into choreography it's I believe in genre you know, if the guy's a karate guy, make him a karate guy. Like, it's the old blood sport mentality or the old Enter the Dragon. Different styles fight different styles. And I, I like flavor. You know, if you're going to go... John Wick is about choices, like for us, big, bold choices. We want the colors to be a certain way. Every color has a meaning. The set pieces have a meaning. Um, the Wachowskis, uh, Spielberg, you know, uh, Fincher, you know, Kurosawa back in the day. Everybody knows the best director, or Nolan is a good example. Um... The story doesn't stop with action. Action doesn't stop with story. Like, there's no division. And unfortunately, I, from what I've seen in my career, the majority of directors and projects today, it's get a director, do the acting, uh, get the second, you know, the action director to do the acting. The actors make it over when they can. The doubles will do it. We'll do over the shoulder and plug it. And it just, you can feel the hiccup in every one. You can feel it every time. And it's because the cast hasn't been properly trained because we weren't budgeted right to put all the training in or to get the right trainers because the, a lot of producers or directors don't even know who to call to get the right training for the actors because they haven't done their homework to figure out what they want. <laughs> like, stunt people just aren't generic. I mean, there's great martial art choreographers, there's shitty martial art choreographers, there's great stunt choreographers, there's shitty stunt coordinators. So, like, you know, all this goes into the planning of it to get what you want. But if you're the director and in your head you want it to be you know, this really brutal, but you want it stylized sense of, you know, monkey kung fu or praying mantis, or you want old Okinawan karate, or you want a weapon-based art, you want Filipino Kali, or you want jiu-jitsu or Aikido. Like, that's up to you. You have to make that choice. And then you have to go to your stunt team and go, this is what I want. Now, who's the best at this? How do we efficiently train our cast to give me what I want? What happens is more retroactive. I want something like this. And the director or the creative entity of a film doesn't really know what they want. They've done all their research into some kind of lighting thing or some kind of dialogue thing, but when action comes along, they just, ah, fuck it, the, you know, the stunt team will do it. Like, that's, that's not directing. You know, that's surrogate subcontracting. <laughs> what are you doing? You in, know? In, in an interesting way, um, I mean, the John Wick movies are wonderful, but unfortunately right now, they're, I, I, 
I think their popularity stems from the fact they're wonderful, but they're filling such a void. Yeah. Because we've moved so much in that direction where the action is spectacle, visual effects, mm -hmm. not integrated. Yeah, and you can almost you can almost feel the different teams. Yeah, we're 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 very aware of that. Yeah. Uh, nothing against the superhero movies. Um, you know, the audience speaks to to the artist. You know, uh, superhero movies wouldn't be so popular if everyone out there didn't want to see them. Yeah. You know, the audience has a say in what we make too. You know, obviously, it's up to the artist to kind of lead the pack, be the spearhead, and try and come up with a new and original products that maybe help the audience see life or art in a different way. But they're also responding to certain genres. Um, you know, right now it's the Bond franchise, mm. which is a, a very big budget franchise. The, the, the Mission Impossible, which is, again, is a very high number into the triple digits of budget. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you don't see the, the cool lower to medium budget action movies like we used to have that were just fun, like the early Schwarzenegger, the Jackie Chan, the, the Takens, the Bournes, mm. that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we're trying to fill that little bit of a, a martial art genre void that's a little bit surreal different has a little gravitas and a little dark side to it at the same time it's kind of fun and hopefully that comes across with the wick series i want to take something back to what you said before you know uh, and we'll just use keanu as an example i mean he's incredibly talented mm -hmm. um and is perfect for this but i i think kind of something coming back none of, none of it is possible unless Someone, unless the actor is willing to yeah our, our most common it. denominator it will always be cast yeah. no matter what vision i have no matter how much training we have, no matter what stunt team we have, no matter the pretty pictures and the yeah. cinematographer, it still comes down to the performer. But also the performer's ability, uh, willingness to do this months in advance, right? Because you can't, Huge. no one is talented enough. No, to, there, it to... doesn't exist. There, I mean, any cast member out there, no matter what role they play, they're human. Yeah. You know, think of yourself. I mean, they're no different. People have a slightly more intense learning curve and some are born with more, you know, gifts athletically. But like, you know, no one's born knowing how to do tactical gun work. Like, you know, speed reloads and quad loads and shotguns, Aikido Jiu-Jitsu combinations that don't really exist outside of the movie realm. Like, yeah, they have to be trained. And that, people, I think, you know, so used to hearing, I do my own stunts. I do my own, like, no, I, nobody does. Mm. I mean, I'm just going to kill that rumor right now, <laughs> like, as, as the guy that's trained everybody out there. Like, yeah, you know, the, the goal is to get your cast to do as much of the action as they can. Yeah. And the level of what determines whether it's a stunt or action is based on the person's you know, skill set. Once it becomes outside of your skill set, then it's a stunt. Then it becomes slightly the probability of injury or, or hazard becomes such that the coordinator and the stunt team deem it, you know, uh, safer to use a double or you redesign. We simply went the other way and went, we're going to take the guy or the cast member as high as we can physically and, and mentally into the action world. And wherever that limit or wherever that ceiling is, we're going to redevise to maximize that ceiling. Not just go up there and go, well, we want to choreograph deeper, so let's bring in the double. We'll, we'll figure out the choreography, hopefully creative enough, that our cast stays in it the whole time. If there's something they can't do, we rely on ourselves to be more creative to figure out a way that we can keep them in and not have to rely on other things. And so yeah. in between that step of um, being a stunt double and, and, and making the John Wick films, a lot of people do do this path, which you did, which I don't think people understand, is that going into stunt chore um, coordinating is one thing, but often that comes with a piece of the second unit, right? Mm -hmm. Is also figuring out the camera. And I know that's what Again, you and David had become such experts at in terms of helping out, because mm -hmm. it's not just figuring out the stunts and working with the director, right. but it's also, you at some point have to also figure out how the camera's gonna work with yeah, it. Yeah, right? it's not 
uh, people just think it's a natural transit. You hang out on set, it's osmosis. Yeah. You know, it's it's like any other, it's, it's no different than any other career in life. Uh, because you're a good stunt coordinator or even a second unit director does not necessarily mean you're going to be a good director. Like second unit directors don't have to deal with post. So there's a whole world. I mean, people don't realize you spend maybe 15 weeks prepping a film. You'll spend 10 to 15 weeks shooting a film, but then you'll spend the next year posting it. So if you don't understand the process of post, that's a big deal and what you can and can't do with digital intermediate, with sound, with music, that's a big deal. Um, when Dave and I were, were trying to change careers, like even from stunt performer, stunt coordinator, people don't realize it's not about just putting it on action, it's how to budget it. Mm. Budget and scheduling, like how to manage money, how to manage time, like you have to deliver. Because time is money, again. time is money too, right? And yeah. you have to do that. that, so that became a big deal with us. We became very, very good at that. And that helped us go into our second. So now we control our budgets when we're second unit directors. So I knew how long to have the technocrane, what, where to have the three camera crews as opposed to two camera crews, where to spend money and where not. And we took that into first unit. And that's how we do the first John Wick of being incredibly creative on screen, but even being, I think, the bigger challenge of being off screen and still delivering a, a decent action movie, training the cast the way we did and shooting it in record time. Yeah. You know, and that's, I mean, even John Wick um, 3, Parabellum, we did in 55 days, all in. What did, what did two take? Two, we got done in, uh, if you count like a little additional photography, all three of them were in and around between 46 and 54 days, mm -hmm. depending on how you look at, at reshoots and stuff. Have the resources grown? Because I, I mean, or uh, three is pushing the envelope and it's got some uh, big you stuff. You know, as a director, like, yes, the, the, the financial resources have grown. We, we, luckily, our budget has gone up every time and hopefully it ends up on screen. That's yeah. the challenge. Well, um, anybody waits for the third act of uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, this film, you, know, we'll you, you get there and like, yes, mm -hmm. if I didn't build glass houses, if yeah. I didn't shoot New York City, if I didn't spend literally a, a, a quite substantial number with dog trainers and dogs and shipping horses from LA. I could have had 90 days to shoot this thing if I shot in warehouses and alleys. But like you sacrifice, okay, that set piece, you know, the glass house that you see in the third act was $4 million to build. So $4 million, that's two weeks of shooting. So I sacrificed that. Do I have that? You know, we rely on our prep. So I train the actors for six to seven months, the dogs for seven months, the horses for three months. I want to talk months. about some of the, yeah, because there's, 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 there's a laundry list here of, of amazing things that sure. you put in here. Um, but let's just start with uh, the choice with John Wick 3. Uh, it, it, anybody that watched 2, it's like, it's the next frame, it's the next second, and it is that sense of he's got an hour, and it is, it, it is not like a normal first act. It's, it's pedal to the floor, just right It's meant to be there. the third act of the second film <laughs> actually if you watched all feel, three together you should be able and I've done it we yeah. did it before we yeah. released number three was like I watched all three back to back to back to back I'm like ah, I was pretty proud like holy shit it actually fits yeah. so hopefully that's entertaining to some people yeah. maybe you could tell it's a Netflix is a neat part series <laughs> we'll see <laughs> um, so I made a list here of things that I, I had never seen crazy shit that I had never quite mm -hmm. seen before uh, the horses I've seen knives, but that that knife fight was was like something I had fun. Not, snowball I, fight, we call it. Snowball. That you know what? That's, That's what where we got the idea yeah. from. Yeah. Is that what? And then the motorcycles was extraordinary. The attack dogs. Um, is to some degree we've seen some of these. Bulletproof armor was this mm -hmm. other. It, it, you're adding, and then of course this. We'll, we'll we'll eventually talk about that that incredible set that you had referenced with um, the glass set. Each of these, I, I'm curious. There's an element here, and I'm sure there's a lot of goals with going into this third one, but it seems as if part of it is adding to these incredible set pieces 
elements mm -hmm. of almost pushing yourself. How do we do? How do we incorporate a knife mm -hmm. fight like a snowball? Mm -hmm. How 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 can we do some of this on a, a motorcycles going over mm -hmm. the Brooklyn Bridge? Things like that. Is that is that part? I mean, I know there's a story here, but is that is that something you're kind of? Yeah. If you take okay, let's take the story out. Let's take the directing part. Let's just go to the action design conversation. Yeah. Um, it, it's what goes on in my head. I don't know else how to say mm -hmm. it. I have a notebook this thick of ideas. I mean, when you design and choreograph for 20 years, there's, I'd say it, every show I go into, I go and say 10 ideas and we use mm -hmm. two. So where does the remainder go? It goes into this <laughs> notebook of things you want to, and you see things, you get inspired by things. Like I love underwater work. So we're like, fuck, I can't do a whole underwater sequence, but let's go into the pool. We'll have a spa and we'll have this underwater and we'll see what bullet cavitation actually does. Like the physics of what you see in the movie are actually, I mean, taken off live footage, so we just did the same thing. And I don't think people are actually, 90% of what most people know of a gunfight is from movies. And 90% of what movies do is wrong. <laughs> so we're trying to put reality back in. That's all we look at. I'm sure, you know, as a kid, everyone's throwing a knife in the ground. Like that's what just boys do. Mm -hmm. You know, even some women, I think, too. You throw knives at, how many times have you actually thrown your mom's steak knife at a tree and it's stuck in? I guarantee you, eight out of 10 times, it's bounced off. So we're like, well, let's just do a real knife fight. If you're throwing knives, this is, how many movies have you ever seen where the hero misses with a knife? Never, he always lands the guy. That never happens in reality. No professional soldier will throw his knife at a guy. It just bounces off and you miss, and if it does, it barely sticks. So we thought we'd have fun with that. And I grew up in Massachusetts, so me and my brothers would always snowball fight. And what is it? It's just this manic, take one, give one, take one, give one. So we combined a snowball fight with reality knife throwing. We just take all these ideas that we have and we try to put a little taste of reality in them. Like, yes, uh, the horse idea came about, I was walking by uh, Central Park with Location Scout over a year ago, and we saw the horses and it was freezing cold out. And I was like, Jesus, where do they keep the horses at? Oh, there's a stable right over, I'm like, what? Right off Fifth Ave? Like, and there's a legitimate brickstone stable. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. And like, there's a stable and you're like this close. He's like, and we walked up and it's four stories of horses and these little stables. Yeah. I'm like, John Wick's running into one of these. No one will believe me, but fuck it, we're gonna run into one. Mm -hmm. And then fuck it, we're gonna fight with a horse. Cause I've actually been kicked by a horse before and it sucked. <laughs> in a movie doing, do uh, No, just, you know, I was practicing at an actual mm -hmm. riding stable and just practicing for a stunt back in the day. And you know, a horse had a bad day. I walked around, <laughs> startled the horse and I got kicked and it sat me down fast that you can believe. <laughs> Luckily it took me in the shoulder and the arm, mm -hmm. but you know. My arm was useless for a week. And I'm like, oh, we're gonna kill a guy with a horse. And then why not John, and Keanu could ride, he wanted to ride on a horse. Mm -hmm. I had a great idea, we're gonna kill some people with a horse. <laughs> and then you're gonna ride one through Manhattan. Yeah. And he was, couldn't be happier about it. So like, all right, let's start the horse lessons. How much of it though, and we can talk about animals and we can talk about knives, you know, there's that element of the conception and we haven't quite seen something like that before. Mm -hmm. Then it also adds this element of, well, we gotta get animal trainers. No, the logistics is massive. And then I imagine knives, although I'm sure you've probably dealt with knives to some degree, uh, the level of knives yeah. and, and, and the way that you also want these, you're often shooting in one take, mm -hmm. or, or you know, without cutting, and, and, and having these things fly, I have to imagine there's like this element of like safety and also mm -hmm. working with trainers that, not only are you raising the stake in terms of the action, but you're also, there's a level of coordination that's involved, right? Yeah, I, you know, and again, having seen the flaws in other projects throughout the years, it's really logistics and communication and hiring the right people. I, whereas some people, some directors stay very isolated from the stunt team and they keep their crews isolated. The stunt guys do their thing, the camera, 
a lot of times, most people don't realize, when you walk onto a set and there's an action sequence, the director has seen a stunt rehearsal but never really walked through. The actors have been rehearsing. The cameramen have never seen the rehearsals. <clears throat> They're shooting on the day. The cinematographer has never seen. He's trying to light for the first time. Uh, my cinematographer and my cameraman are part of the stunt rehearsals three, four months out. My costumer is there, my production designer. They've all part of the stunt team. Like I, I run a super mandatorily cohesive crew where everybody has to be in everybody else's business. So the production designer knows right off the bat what kind of action I'm doing. So he understands what height the ceilings have to be, what I'm looking for in location. The cinematographer has seen how much we're gonna move around. He knows what the color palette, he knows about the knives, so he has to light a certain way. So he knows I'm shooting wide so he can't push the lights in. Like everybody's on board. That makes it much, 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 much easier. Right off the bat, I have the conception of, okay, this is what we're gonna do with knives. So Keanu, early on in his training, is throwing with both hands. We're doing that, we're figuring out, okay, we're not gonna figure out on the day how to use rubber, how to use digital knives, how to use this, how do we put the knives in, how do we use the magnets, all this stuff. We're, we're figuring out and usually inventing the tools of the trade as we go, because they don't really exist. Like to do the horse stuff we did, the rigs we needed to do that didn't exist. So we have our stunt coordinator, Scott Rogers, and our second unit director, Darren Prescott, and my stunt team constantly you know being innovative in how they design the stunts it just you have to be very communicative you have to be very upfront and you have to get ready to prep and give yourself the lead time to figure stuff out because you're absolutely right all the great ideas in the world don't mean anything if you can't bring them to fruition and that's probably the hardest part about action design I did not realize that you could use dogs and attack dogs quite like you did here we didn't either and so I'm wondering <laughs> about this because I mean I mean the horse stuff, it's like logistics. How are we going to get the horse mm -hmm. to kick? How are we going to do this and be safe? Mm -hmm. um, these dogs um, that are in one incredible uh, set piece, um, I guess in Morocco, um, are flying all over the place and, and really hitting beats and becoming an extension of this, this, this gunplay. Uh, you know, I'm wondering if you could talk about this because it's one thing to think that up, but I, to actually do it with dogs and not do it with, I, I, maybe there is a little CGI built in here, but these dogs are doing yeah, it to a certain all, degree. All dogs, real dogs. Um, a lot of time, just to decide uh, what type of dogs to use is a big deal. You have to remember like animals, let's just take dogs for example, there's no such thing as a movie dog. Yeah. You can't communicate to an animal that it's a movie so don't really attack. Um, up until this film, when you see a dog attacking a, a trainer or a stunt performer, the dog is trying to injure that person. They're just wearing safety gear underneath. The dog doesn't know it's playing. We had this idea. I'm a dog lover and a dog owner. My partner is. Our, our team is. We're a very dog movie. My concept was, you know, I started having this idea a long time ago. So with my two little puppies, you know, I take a little red ball. They'd attack the red ball. They knew it was play. And then I put the ball in my shirt and they'd attack the shirt. And I was like, well, how fucking hard is that? Like, the dog knows it's play. The only downside is every time my dog sees a red ball, he, he wants to get it, you know? So I talked to a couple of trainers and the idea was not uh, sitting with them that I, you could just train a dog to do play and to attack play. Like, no, 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 the animal's gotta go, you can't. So I went around all these trainers, I found Andrew Simpson, which he does the wolves for Game of Thrones. Uh, in the industry, he, he, he's this name that you keep coming across. So I met with him and said, look, my idea is like, look, I wanna, use tactical dog, I want the dogs to be around gunfire and motorcycles and crowds and cameramen, and this is my idea. And uh, Andrew's a very quiet, quiet man. He thought for a moment in just a room full of silence for five minutes, and then he's smiling and goes, yeah, I think we can do it. And within a day, he had run back, he's like, uh, Belgian Malawans. 
That's what the military is. They're the smartest thing. They have energy for days. You know, I think we could do it with, you know, between four and six dogs to rotate. Um, and he had a plan within 24 hours. And then... Because there's... Well, okay, there's three. There's, there's two, two three, in the movie, two in the but movie. we used five total. Okay, um, two hero performance dogs, two stunt dogs. One that was really good with just being around Hallie. Like, just dogs have personalities like people. and You, see you believe that Hallie's, they were Hallie's dogs. Yes. Yeah. And we'll get into that. But, mm -hmm. like, Andrew went on a nationwide search to all the big uh, military camps that raised Belgians and trainers and private uh, owners and stuff and found five that had the personnel and the physical and for seven months they were trained. It's not just to train a dog to do a gag. That's very easy when you're in your living room to teach a dog to sit or wait for food or you know jump up and say hi. It's another thing to do it around 30 stuntmen, a 300-person camera crew, <clears throat> travel overseas to the Moroccan desert, and uh, basically do jujitsu with dog. You see him grabbing the wrist lock and throwing, and have the stunt team work with the dog so that you know you got to remember like you'll see the dogs attacking the stuntmen fly through the air and not land on the dogs. The dogs, I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. We wanted to anticipate that. So again, taking a big chunk of our budget out of like shooting schedules or cool toys or even food in nice hotels and dumping it into believing that this was gonna work, to dump it into five animal trainers for seven months, five dogs brought in from across the country. I mean, you can see where the money goes. And then carrying a stunt team, because you can't just introduce stunt people on the day. The dogs have to know who they are. They have to recognize the smell, otherwise the dog's released and he goes after the one guy, you know? So the stunt team had a little, Hallie had to be with them every day, Keanu had to be with them every day, cameraman had to be with them every day. That's two hours a day they have to spend just playing with the dogs so the dogs are used to you. Cut to, okay, let's get there now. Uh, you know, the kooky director of John Wick wants to shoot really wide and wants to shoot without cuts. So when you see the two dogs going and then the camera reveals them, the dogs have to keep going. And we can't put a trainer in the frame because it's really hard to erase them. So what do we do? Okay, well, Hallie's not just going to act like she owns them. She's got to own Like she's, when you see Hallie giving a command on screen, she's giving the go command. She's calling the animals and the animals are responding to her. I can't have trainers, so Hallie has to become a trainer. So now she's doing physical training, jiu-jitsu training, you know, uh, choreography training, firearm training, physical training, and then she's got to go two, three hours a day and not just sit with the dogs, not just play with the dogs. They have to respect her. And if you've ever seen a Belgian or a really, you know, a good mid to large size shepherd go, it's intimidating. Everybody says they're a dog person until you have one snarling and ready to go off that leash and get, you know, I saw a lot of grown stuntmen shit their pants. Yeah. You know, it's different when the animal's fired up. And Hallie's got to be right in the middle of it. And in the middle of all this, she's got to be acting, shooting 10 other stunt guys, and releasing the animal. Yeah. So that's a whole other level. She really took to, to it. She really took to it. I, oh. I, I, I hadn't even thought about the dog element because it's so natural, but, but the fighting, she really, it was impressive. No, it's great. And yeah. you see, like, Hallie's first day when I said, look, I'm going to take you down to the dog training center in Los Angeles, yeah. and I want you to see what goes on. Yeah. And we had the 20 stuntmen there, and they're all going. And it's just madness because yeah. the camera's panning everywhere. So we have, you know, the, the wick double doing his thing, <laughs> boom, and guys flying and jumping off of stuff, and like the dogs, ah, and doing all this. And Hallie went right and just stepped right in. Yeah. Didn't, like, You'd be surprised when people aren't animal people, are not dog people, are not comfortable around sure. animals. There's a you can't help yourself. You yeah. know that you're in the presence. I'm of raising something. a kid in New York City right uh, now, and I, I and I grew up around dogs, but I see he's you know, you know right. instantly yeah, kind of. Right, you know, And Hallie yeah. walked right in there, and she had told me she was a dog owner. She mm. told me that she, but she walked right in and said, yeah. and they listened right right off the bat. They got the sense that she was a dog person. You know, you talked about the fact that you do try and do things as much in camera and, and, and as much um, one take as possible. Uh, without you know using cuts deliberately rather than to, to mask always you know one thing along those lines is 
I've also always been amazed in combination with that, with all these movies, a sense of space. Mm-hmm. You like using yes, you that. like using the space itself. You like being in the, the way that we sometimes are in tight space, mm-hmm. and in and, and, and that being a part in it. Um, I want to talk about this this glass structure, which, to be honest with you, nothing that we can say is going to bring it to life until people see it in the movie because it's not quite like something. Right. Um, but that seems to me, in a large part, playing upon almost it's a cool set but also kind of playing upon how you like action and space and illusion with space and and that being an element of, of, of these fight scenes. It's, um, if you really look at the individual sequences in what we call the glass house or the glass room, uh, it's a four wall set, it's a hallway, it's a room. If I had did that with like your regular walls like we look around this apartment, um, you don't get the true sense of depth or scale. That's one thing, right? You make it all glass, now it becomes really just the same thing. It's a fight in a square space, but because of the depth and you'll be able to see the city no matter where you go, you can see down, you can see up, you can see the reflections, it changes the metaphor for what you're doing. You know what I mean? It's space, it's illusion, it's depth, it's you know transitory in how you see things. Like, And that's always, uh, architectural art, not just architecture, but architectural art has always fascinated me. Water features, light features. Um, I kind of got really heavy into like, uh, this article that I saw in Architectural Digest about a guy that had built a glass house, mm. you know, and how trippy it was. And we thought, that's fucking great. Like, we're going to do ninjas. Ninjas hide in the dark, but what's a, how can we counter that? Oh, we'll have a room that Winston has that you can't hide a gun under the table. That was a big joke. So we can't hide ninjas. You can't hide anything. Yeah. And then take that to my whole idea of spatial it's such a relab- I love that joke because it's such an elaborate thing. Yeah. Like, this is a little extreme for not being And that's, we go a little big, right? So we want to do that and have fun with that sense of space, which is yeah. exactly where I want to do it. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it changes the vibe. I mean, you could picture it in your head and make all the walls white in there and it wouldn't be yeah. what it was. And it, you know, it's got an ethereal nature to it. Um, I always like saying it neutrals out John's mood. You know, you can see the desert makes you feel one way. Grand Central makes you feel, the library makes you feel one way. This is like you don't know how to feel. The music is ethereal and you get this weird sense of a, you know, a relaxing massage parlor kind of vibe. And you have all these ninjas trying to do it and John's not really sure what to make of it. Which we also use as a tonal change because of Winston's shift in what needs to happen in the plot and we use that to neutralize. Like this is, things are changing. You know, one of the things that, uh, uh, we all love about these movies is how how stripped down they are to the action. The action being an extension of character, um, and we talked about the opening with this one. There is a concerted effort in this film um, to go into backstory and to go to the mythology. It seems as if you're building this. Part of me wondered how much of that is a desire to build this world out. Like you you want to keep doing this, and you're you're opening it up. And how much of that was is sometimes with sequels you do need to you, yeah, do you need, need to get a little bit more plot in they there. They always call it like amongst other director friends I have, they call it the curse of the sequel. Yeah. People love you because you're original the first time like the first time like, okay, the puppy, the thing, the the kind of movement we do. It's original, it's great, okay. But you've seen that. You wanna see it again, but if that's all I did, if I killed another puppy, you'd be like, All right, I already seen that. So you have to be original but the same. And that's always the trick with sequels. So I, I, I was always a big fan of what James Cameron did with Aliens from Lee Scott's Alien. He just said, fuck it, I'm not going to copy it. I'm going to make, I'm going to change, not only am I going to 
expand, I'm going to change genre. They went from a sci-fi thriller to an action sci-fi. You know, and he expanded the world. He gave you a little backstory, but he also didn't go. He didn't spend a lot of time digging into the backstory. Mm-hmm. He let you figure it out as you go. He'd put one or two things, in, and if you got it, you got it. And that was our whole vibe. I don't want you to know John's whole backstory. I still didn't completely define it. Mm-hmm. If you look at the pictures and the tattoos and the props, yeah, you can put two and two together. You go, I think I know what's going on here. Don't ever have to say it. I don't need two CIA guys with a file going, look, oh, this is where he came. Like you know, you figure it out. And the, it's like the Bonds. Like you, can, you can go as deep as you can in your own head. I like watching live shows. I like going to plays. I like going to theater. I like going to dance. And you know, just through performance, you figure a lot of things out. You gel with the story. And I, I love that obtuseness of that kind of storytelling. And I think, um, yes, you give people more. You give them more of the Easter eggs. You give them more of the crumbs to, to follow the trail on. But I also don't want to spell it out for you. I don't want you to know he's a Navy SEAL, three tours, who's been lost. Like... I want you, like, if you see Keanu act and you can see where he's depressed, you can see his motivation, you see, like, he's got nothing to live for, so he's going to do this. This is, he doesn't know. Yeah. They're not always good reasons, but they are his reasons. And in some ways, his backstory here is, is, is in this Tarkovsky theater is, is almost operatic. It's almost mm-hmm. color. It's ballet. It's movement. One almost, it almost, be, one almost be kind of be like, oh, he if does kind of move. I, he does, you know. Yeah, we went between, <laughs> between the ballet, between the Tarkovsky theater, The Tale of Two Wolves is one of my favorite American Indian folklore about uh, how every man has two wolves inside him the good the bad which one wins well the one you feed it's a very famous Cherokee fable like I love fables so they're layered into this movie like he's kind of sitting directly behind a Caravaggio painting I mean if you look at the Caravaggio you can kind of feel where the movie's going (laughs) and Winston is being painted like he's on Mount Olympus always with the back screens and the backlight and the eyes and we always shoot him up it feels like you um, with this one uh, while while you are kind of you do have a little bit more story that you're, you're handling, uh, feeling almost freer in, in painting with even broader strokes, yeah. color-wise, mood-wise, kind of, you know, w- once again, this Tarkovsky yeah, theater is... I think that, is, that's is a good thing about being in the third one. Yeah. You've already bled the audience in. You've eased them into the world. Yeah. You can't go that extreme in your first origin story. You've got to kind of blend the change. Now, you know, you're on for the ride. You, you know you're going to a John Wick movie to see some wacky stuff. So it enables us to be a little broader with our strokes. And in answer to your earlier question, yeah, like we want to expand. I want to keep you interested. But as you guys are learning about John Wick, so am I. Ken and I have never, from one to two, two to three, ever expected to do a sequel or a follow-up. I don't believe, I, I, people ask me this all the time, am I ending the movie for a cliffhanger? Is there a number four? It's set up for, look, man, I get it. If you talk to the studio guys, the producers, yeah, we got to keep number four. Like, they love that shit. I mean, and in you, Hollywood, yeah. franchise is the word. For us, I... Honestly, like, I challenge you right now. Here's a question to you. Like, how do you fucking want me to end it? Do you think he's going to ride off in the fucking sunset? He's killed 300 fucking people, and he's just going to, everything's okay. He's going to fall in love with a love interest. If you're this fucking guy, if this guy really exists, like, how is this guy's day going to end? Like, he's fucked for the rest of his life. It's just a matter of time. So, like, we, like, Ken and I both like ending the movie. It's like, yes, you can kill him off, but maybe that's not an option right now because we like, uh, you know, we like the universe. But, like, honestly, if with the exception of killing off your lead character, which, you know, John will meet at some point, like, it's just like life. You may have the best day of your life, but then you still have to wake up tomorrow and maybe have the worst day. And the worst day of your life ends, but you don't forget it. It just, consequences can't, can't be dumbed down just because of, you know, a cinematic experience. Like, if we're really, if our theme is really consequence and fate, 
if you do bad things, bad things happen to you. And that's really the whole karmic value of this whole series. And one thing we've tried to keep true through all the threads. John may survive all this shit, but like the end of it, like there's no happy ending. Like he's, he's got nowhere to go. Even if, if I had him walk into the sunset, the high table is still after him. He's killed all this. Winston betrayed him. Like it's gonna, you can't get out of something clean. You know, so there, we thought there was no other real way to end this film other than, okay, yeah, what's going to happen next? Yeah, he makes it time off to heal, I would hope, but like he's still got issues. In like, that sense, it's not a cliffhanger as much as it is. Yeah, you I don't, can't leave it where Exactly. I don't think it's a cliffhanger. It wasn't meant to be a yeah, cliffhanger. I know people yeah. see it that way. But then I challenge you back, okay, other than killing McCare, like how, did, how do people like this end their day? Like, where do you go? Yeah. You the know? one thing I would say, though, is, is that in what some of the things that you've established in three, um, you make it, if you do want to go back, you make it easier because there's some richer, there's some layers here to explore. You have more him. layers, the characters expand the universe. You, you understand now that it is a world order yeah. that we have to our universe, so that's good. Yeah. All right. Well, Chad, thank you so much. Of Wonderful film. Um, wishing you luck with this one. And, Thanks. Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you.